Hey, everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here today with personal injury and workers' comp uh, lawyer, Richard Gordon of GordonLawChicago.com. Um, if uh, he, he's also done extensive work with professional athletes. So if you slip on a banana peel uh, at the grocery store or if you get hurt playing in the Super Bowl, he's your guy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we had to uh, reschedule last time, but, um, you know, we have you now. So, you know, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. I appreciate being here. Definitely. Definitely. So, I mean, there's there's a lot in what I just said, personal injury, workers' compensation, um, and, uh, you know, medical malpractice and all these different things that we talked about. Tell us what you do in your own words. Sure. Uh, I own a uh, law firm in Chicago that that handles personal injury and workers' compensation matters. And so on the personal injury side, we represent folks who are injured in car accidents, injured in slip and falls on the banana peel, like you said. Um, we represent folks who are injured by defective products, and we represent folks who are you know, injured by uh, doctors. Mm. Um, and on the workers' compensation side, we represent just regular factory workers, uh, cops, firefighters, uh, airline uh, attendants, uh, factory workers. And then we have kind of a unique practice too. We represent professional athletes in workers' compensation. And so we represent players on the Chicago Bears, Blackhawks, Cubs, Sox, uh, the Fire, the Sky, uh, and, and the minor league teams in the state as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get into all those things individually, but the, the you know, the big one is obviously the, the professional athletes. Um, you had an interesting story that you told me on the phone when we first spoke and we had a really good conversation, you know, you, you dug in a little bit about how you got started in law, um, you know, working with family and, you know, how you kind of, uh, you know, had, you know, it was, it's a, it's a strange circumstance that you got in, um, to the professional athlete thing, because that, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, that's, that's big time. So tell us that story. How did you get into uh, practicing law? You know, tell us that story about, you know, kind of getting into uh, all the things you just talked about. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it, it's in the family blood. I come from a long line of lawyers. Uh, my father uh, was a lawyer in Chicago, as well as his brother, a couple of his brothers. Um, and it was just a natural fit for me. You know, I, I, I attempted to rebel when I was younger and was <laughs> going to go into some other areas. But uh, really, the law was always uh, where I was meant to be, I think. Um, and so when I graduated from college, I, I went to law school and, uh, from there, uh, been practicing about 20 years now. And uh, I started off representing insurance companies, um, and, and really kind of doing the opposite of what I do now. Uh, I was representing insurance companies, helping them, uh, avoid having to, to pay for, for accidents. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I did that for a while. That's how I learned to be a lawyer and, I also learned that that wasn't really where I was meant to be. Um, you know, I've always been a believer in fighting for the little guy and, uh, you know, working for the insurance companies and their billion dollar profits. Uh, it didn't yeah. really sit well with me. And so eventually I uh, left that practice and, and started working on the plaintiff side, on the on the side of the injured folks. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very fortunate uh, to have an opportunity to go work with my father. Uh, he was a, a lawyer in Chicago as well. And, um, you know, that's that's how I got into the professional athlete realm as well. It, it's kind of a funny story. And I probably told it, you know, 10,000 times over the <laughs> years because that's what everybody asked me is, how did you get into representing professional athletes? Right. Uh, the story is it, it, it's a true story. Um, 
the uh, NFL Players Association in the early 1980s decided they wanted to have a panel of attorneys and they wanted one or two attorneys in each NFL city to recommend to the players to uh, to handle their workers' compensation claims. Believe it or not, when uh, you know a Bears linebacker tears an ACL on the field, it's the same as when a factory worker tears his ACL on the factory floor. The same laws apply. And so the original guy who uh, was chosen for this panel in Chicago was a guy named Jeff Jacobs. And Jeff Jacobs, some, some of you may know, was also the president of Harpo Studios and Oprah Winfrey's partner and manager. And so it, in addition to that, he happened to be my father's law school roommate. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so suffice to say, it was uh, growing up uh, w- with a friend like that. I was uh, very fortunate, spent a lot of, went to a lot of uh, Michael Jordan Bulls games and, and 1980s Bears games and in, uh, in, in sky boxes and all that, yeah. um, which was really neat. But uh, Jeff called my father in the mid 1980s and said, Gil, you know, I'm busy making a billion dollars with this Oprah Winfrey lady. I don't have time for this NFL stuff anymore. Do you want to do it? <laughs> and my father said, sure, and got on this panel and, and did it for 30 years. And uh, when I went to go work with him, this was uh, around 2008, um, I was able to get on this panel as well. And, um, you know, I've been on it ever since. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is uh, definitely a story. I can see why you tell it so many times because there's a lot of uh, – happenstance that <laughs> that, yeah. that worked out there right it's a fun story it's it's, it's one i enjoy telling and and my, my father passed away about seven years ago and uh you know it's one of those stories where it always puts a smile on my face thinking about it yeah yeah definitely uh it's you know there's something to you know kind of taking up the family business you know like it's when you when you follow in your your family footsteps, it's uh, it's a it's an interesting thing, you know. And not everybody does that. Like you said, you were going to rebel, right? So what what was on your mind when you were thinking about rebelling? What direction were you thinking about going? Just about the opposite direction of being a lawyer. I was going to be a computer programmer. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, I was into computers when I was a kid, but uh, it turned out when I went to college and started looking at that, that it wasn't really my uh, it wasn't meant for me. Sure. I wasn't really a math guy. I didn't have the head for that, but I've always been interested in writing. I've always had a love for reading and arguing and, and, uh, and debating. And it just really was a natural fit for me. And even looking back on it, it was always what I was going to end up doing, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but to your point also, you know, it's easy to rebel. I think it's harder to recognize that you're just meant to do something. Yeah, And so, and, and it was, and, and that's probably one of the reasons that I started out on my own instead of, you know, working with the family from the very start of my career, I needed to learn how to do that on my own. And okay. it, there was something to that. And so that when I, when I did go to work with my father, I'd already been practicing for about eight years, knew how to be a lawyer and, uh, and was able to really learn that much more because of it. Yeah. That, you know, I have a parallel kind of story with that as far as working with family and, you know, so I started doing sales, um, it, you know, kind of like working with family when I was 14. It was like I was in high school still. So working with family can be very difficult as well. And one of the things when you start working with family and you don't have that experience being on your own to kind of find your own way, it, it is even more difficult. So, you know, in my situation, I started out working for family and I had to leave and work for other people you know, and then kind of it, it circled back around, um, you know, it's, it's definitely. Yeah. A, yeah. And that's interesting how life, life kind of runs in circles like that. Right. Definitely. 
Definitely. And it's, I talked to so many different types of people on this show. Um, it's, it's very strange how people have very similar stories about, about you know, totally different circumstances, but it, there's a lot of parallels in, in the way a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, live their life and become successful and, and kind of find their fit. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that you found your fit. It sounds like you definitely have. Um, one of the really interesting things that you, you, you know, mentioned there was that you started out being the total opposite, you know, working for, for basically the enemy, <laughs> I guess you would call them right now. Um, and, uh, and that had to give you some really serious perspective. Now, how does that play in having the experience being on the other side of the table, um, you know, in what you do now, you know, how, how does that work? Well, I think it gives me, I think, it, I think that's a great question, Steve. I think that having spent so much time working for the defense side, working for the insurance companies, it gives me a, a very unique insight into the way they operate and the way that they think. And so what that allows me to do in my cases today is um, I'm able to look at the case and frame it from a defense perspective. And, and I think to myself and I talk to my, you know, to the lawyers that work for me and my staff, what would you, what would we do if we were on the other side here? What, what is their best argument? And that's kind of how I approach every case is what is the best argument that the defense has to this case? You know, let's frame that up and then let's figure out a way to to overcome that. Right. And I found that that's that's a, just been incredibly helpful in in getting some of the great results that we've gotten for our clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's you You also mentioned that you like to debate and that's kind of one of the main, um, you know, they teach you that as far as debate, you know, put your put yourself, find, find the other person's, um, you know, point and make it for them. And, uh, it, 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 that, that goes into anything when you're doing sales or anything like that. If you can, you know, kind of get that common ground and make it like where I'm saying what you're thinking. So where are you going to go from there? You already won. Now you're in their head. Right. So it's, there's, there's exactly. a lot. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and I'm, uh, and to my, to my, uh, to the lawyers that work for me, I'm kind of a broken record. Uh, every case we talk about, I'm, I'm constantly saying, you know, what do we need to prove our case and how are we going to prove it? Right. Um, I, I think that's really the, the, you know, the, the end question on every matter that we litigate and, and that, and what we're kind of thinking of every minute of every day. And in order to answer that question, you gotta, you gotta know what the other side's thinking, you know, right. it's easy to uh, buy into the, the, uh, the idea that, you know, the, the victim is always the victim and the, the insurance company is always out to screw everybody, but right. really it's more nuanced than that. And, you know, we need to, to find our arguments within the law and within, you know, w within the court system. And, and you got to be creative at that sometimes. And, and the more creative you can, the more you can think outside the box and be creative, I think the more successful you can be for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the law is written, but you're dealing with people and the determination is made by people. Um, even though there is a law and, you know, it's, there's a lot of wiggle room with that. I find, um, with a lot of things. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's well, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when any of these cases, uh, you know, go to, a, go to a trial, if they're, if you can't settle the case, it's 12 people, random people off the street who they're going to be told what the law is, but at the end of the day, they're going to use their own life experiences and their own, uh, you know, their own, uh, uh, past and, and, and all that to, to come up with an answer. And so you have to be able to apply the law to the reality of the situation, the reality of life. Well, that's a good point. I think, um, you know, people think of 
people people don't think of that a lot of times. You know, about the reality of the situation is different than sometimes what's on the paper. What's on the page is not necessarily reflective of, you know, the real world in a lot of cases. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so now how many, uh, I guess, what, what percentage wise, how many cases would you would you settle? Can you come to a kind of a, an agreement before it goes to trial? And, um, you know, what, what's your favorite? Do you like uh, doing the settling or do you like going into trial and really making, you know, <laughs> playing uh, what's uh, now I'm, I'm losing my train of thought with that. But who's the uh, who's the, the TV lawyer? Matlock. Matlock, right? <laughs> do you exactly. like being Matt? Yeah, Matlock like- <laughs> or Perry Mason or, right, right. or even uh, the guy in Law and Order, sure. Yeah. Do you like to be Matlock or do you like to uh, kind of handle it behind closed doors? You know, <laughs> uh, the reality is, is that 98% of cases settle before trial. Yeah. And, and what that means, though, you know, they don't necessarily settle immediately. They settle somewhere between the day you sign up the case and on the courthouse steps the day of the trial. And, and, and so that's regardless of what I want or don't want, that's almost always what happens. Now, there's that 2% of cases, which translates to a couple of cases a year that, you know, for for a variety of reasons, we end up going to trial. And, and any trial lawyer will tell you that that's, that's what they live for. That's the most fun thing, most fun thing to do yeah. um, is when you're working 20 hour days, you know, for, for weeks at a time to, to put on a case, there, there's really nothing better. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been a lot of fun, uh, to do those kind of things. Um, but they're few and far between is the reality too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, everybody sees at the TV, you know, the TV lawyer making the case and everybody gasps, right? Like, uh, <laughs> you made your point. Yeah. That one's a little, there's a little bit of creative license in those shows. <laughs> the, the, the reality is, is that, uh, the case that the cases that we litigate, there, there is no, there's no gotcha moments quite like they had on uh, Perry Mason or Matlock. It's, sure. uh, uh, you know what the, the world's going to look like going into it. And the real question comes down to what I was saying before. It's how well are you able to present that case to 12 people off the street, 12 random peers in your jury? And, and how well are you able to sell them on, on the, the facts that you have? Yeah. Yeah. And now a few different things that we touched on when we had our conversation and I guess there's ethics that go into it too. Um, have you ever had a client that you just knew was lying? I can't say that I've had a client that I just knew was lying. Um, if I knew a client was lying, frankly, I wouldn't take that case. Um, but but there are times where, where you know, the, the, as the case develops, you recognize that it's not, uh, the, the facts aren't quite the same as maybe you were led to believe at the start of things. And yeah. And a lawyer has an obligation to his client, but also an obligation to the truth. And so uh, that can be a difficult line to toe sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know, I have an obligation. Uh, there, there's rules of professional responsibility. And and frankly, there's reputation and, and morals and ethics. And so I've never had a, a situation arise where I felt I had to compromise any of the any of my morals to represent a client. But certainly if I ever felt like that, it, it would really be a no brainer to me that that's just not a case for me to handle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would, I would shake my client's hand and tell him good luck. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, lawyers have a bad reputation in a lot of cases about kind of, you know, especially when it's, you know, that, that type of thing that you're dealing with, you know, everybody kind of sees, and we talked about this before too, you know, you, there's a perception, I think with personal injury 
and you know, hey, you know, it doesn't matter if it, you know if you if you slipped and fell or if you hurt your back doing this or or I guess people will always try to say, oh, hey, you should get a lawyer. You can make some money on this, hey, even if it really wasn't you know the the places. Well, fault. again. You know, again, it's uh, it's lawyers get a bad rap because of TV, but lawyers also get a bad rap because there's, you know, there's like anything else. If you pick out the bad cases, it's easy to 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 shine a spotlight on some of the bad conduct. But the reality is most of those bad cases, first of all, they're few and far between. Mm -hmm. And even some of those bad cases really aren't bad if you really look at the facts. You know, there was that. That case, maybe it was 10 or 15 years ago, where the, the woman sued McDonald's because she spilled hot coffee oh, yeah. in her lap and, and got burned. And and people would talk about that case as an example of the judicial system gone awry. Right. But in reality, my understanding is that woman sustained severe third degree burns because of the coffee. And yeah. It may sound a little a little ridiculous when you think about the facts there, when you hear those for the first time. But the reality is that there was an injury that was caused by someone else's negligence, but caused by someone else's mistake. And that's what lawyers are here for is to represent folks who are injured because someone else screwed up. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be on purpose and it doesn't need to be with malice. Mm -hmm. And it rarely is, frankly, most of my cases are the guy, the the defendant had a bad day. Yeah. The defendant wasn't paying attention and ran into somebody or ran a red light or, or whatever it was. Um, And so that's, most of what I find is is there. It's not so black and white, but rather it's all gray. Yeah. Um, you know, most people are good people in this world. I think at the end of the day, and you need to have uh, rules and laws to protect people, whether whether it was someone's fault or not. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And now that is interesting, though, because people kind of just assume like, oh, there's a right, there's a, a you know a liar or you know somebody you know there's a right side and a wrong side. Um, I think that they for, they have to teach that uh, that case with McDonald's in law school. It has to be you know brought up by plenty of pro- professors um, because that is and I'm familiar with that not as much as you I'm sure but um, it, it seems silly that somebody wouldn't know that the coffee's hot and if they spill it it'll burn them. But what was what is the the burden of proof, I guess. I don't know the lingo, but what is it? it? Now you say it's not malice. It's not, they meant to burn this lady or they meant to do something or whatever, but it was, you know, what, what is it that you have to prove to, to win that case, to win that argument? Well, so it depends on uh, on the case you're talking about. And I don't want to get too far afield. I, I don't know the, the details in and out uh, on that McDonald's case, but if right. you take for just as an example, a more simple example would be a rear end car accident. And so if you're driving a car and you get rear-ended, you know, the, the Illinois Motor Vehicle Code, there's a whole set of statutes that, and one of them is you can't follow someone so close that you can't avoid an accident. So if you rear-end somebody, it's almost always your fault yeah. because you were following too close. And, you know, there could be, you know, maybe you weren't paying, if you had been paying a little more attention, you would have been able to pump the brakes faster. Maybe the conditions were bad, but at the end of the day, as a driver, you have an obligation to, to follow the rules of the road. Yeah. And so the burden of proof is it would a reasonable person in that position have, have acted like that. You know, did you, did you follow these rules? Um, and if you, and if they didn't, then they're liable. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's why you have insurance too. 
Right. Yeah. It's, now, it's to cover mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People make mistakes. Everybody's guilty of that. Everybody's had a close call. Uh, you know, I mean, if you haven't, then you probably haven't driven too much. Um, so it's exactly, it, it, you know, I was, here's a funny story. I was, uh, just the other day I was driving and I got rear-ended by a lady. I was sitting at the intersection, stopped at a stoplight oh, wow. and some lady comes up and slams into me from behind and she gets out of her car and runs up to me and says, I'm so sorry. I wasn't paying attention. I, I fell asleep. That's oh, literally wow. what she said to me. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself in the moment, first of all, you know, am I okay? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of, kind of doing like a, a, an assess, a mental assessment of myself. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm thinking to myself, man, this lady just basically admitted to, to the entire case. Yeah. So you could have a big case there. I was going to say but you're the wrong person. But, but you know what? <laughs> but I wasn't injured and, and, and it, it's not, and, and this gets back to, you know, what you were saying before, how, yeah, good um, you know, lawyers have this bad reputation. You know, my friends will ask me if I have like, you know, a neck brace in my trunk. Why don't I just go grab that and put it on? Or something? <laughs> yeah. but, you know, that's just not how that's not how we operate. Yeah. At least, that's not how I operate. At least I don't have any neck braces in my trunk. Well, that's good. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, the reality is, is that that lady has insurance to cover this exact situation when she makes a mistake. Yeah. That's why I have insurance. That's why you have insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And you could have very well just decided, OK, I'm going to do this and you would have a case and you probably would have made some money on that. Right. I mean, that's, that's a clear cut and dry type of uh, instance, isn't it? I mean, so, so there's really three, there's three parts that we look at to any case there's liability. And in this case, yes, there was clearly liability. She was at fault, but and then there's also the damages and, and a, and a pocket to, to pay the damages. Right. There were no damages. And, and I didn't know if this lady had insurance or didn't and, and all that. Um, but certainly from the liability perspective, absolutely. And so that's what we look at when, when we get a new call for a case, we'll look at those three, those three pieces. And if we have all three, then, then we'll move forward, but we don't move forward unless there's all three of those pieces are there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that goes to ethics definitely. And I, I can appreciate that. Um, that's a, that's a wild story that you just told that actually happened in real, real life. That's a great example. Um, I was going to say that's, you, yeah, you know, she yeah. hit the wrong person. That's for sure. But, uh, no, that's, that's, uh, that's really great. I mean, uh, it makes sense to me. And, um, it is also interesting that, you know, that that is the truth, though, if people don't realize that if if your front end hits anything, then you're pretty much liable. Right. I mean, you know, unless it's some freak thing where you spin around or something, I figure. But if you're moving in a direction and you don't stop, then you're pretty much the person at fault in every, any situation. Pretty much. Um, About 95 percent of the time, I would say that's true. There's, there's some instances where. You know, the car in front of you could do something that causes the whole problem, but yeah. or, or you could be hit from behind and be pushed into somebody. Um, but but generally, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're the one who does the rear ending, then you're probably at fault. Yeah. Yeah. And another point that you brought up, I mean, the, the third part of that is if somebody hits you, if you're going to make a case against them, if they don't have insurance and don't have any money, then you're you're not getting much out of that. Right. So how do, how do those cases work? If somebody gets really seriously injured and the person, for instance, doesn't have insurance, how do you navigate that? Well, so, so that does happen uh, plenty of times you, in an auto case, in, a, in an automobile accident, usually one of the parties has insurance. So even if the guy who hits you doesn't have insurance, you probably have insurance. And with your insurance comes what's called underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage. And so uh, that covers you if, if the person who hits you either has no insurance or has less insurance than you do, yeah. you're covered up to your own insurance in Illinois. 
Okay. And states are different, right? So Illinois, we kind of have more protections than some. All states, states are different. But, uh, Illinois, Illinois is a is a pretty uh, pretty protective uh, uh, state for for the laws for injured motorists. Um, but but I think most states have laws requiring insurance and requiring requiring uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage. Okay. Yeah, and we you know we're we're talking a lot about just. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. One thing I was going to say, though, is, you know, one kind of piece of advice that I always like to give people is you're probably underinsured yourself. You know, most of the people we run into don't have enough insurance that than they should have. Um, and and that can you know, the reality is you're going to get in a car accident. I think they say every 18 years. Mm. Uh, so, so in your lifetime, you're going to be in two, three, four car accidents. And the guy who hits you almost certainly is going to have less insurance than you have. And you got to think about. What are your, you know, what's your, what are your financial needs? You know, what happens if you get hurt and can't work? Um, you know, the difference between a hundred thousand dollars in insurance and three hundred thousand dollars in insurance is not a very significant difference in your premium. Mm. And what I find with my clients and and just colleagues alike is people are are woefully underinsured. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, if you do end up getting hurt, those those ex- you know medical expenses can be just astronomical. Um, well, not only the medical expenses, but, you, you know, every, everyone thinks they're Superman. Everyone thinks it's going to be someone else who gets hurt. It's not going to be them, that they're they're a good driver. They're they're smart. They, they know what they're doing. But the reality is in, in doing this for 20 years, people's lives change in an instant. Yeah. You know, I've seen it both on the defense side and on the plaintiff side. People who are who sustain just horrible injuries, lifelong injuries that they're never able to recover from. Um and, and, and oftentimes they are not able to be made whole. I mean, certainly there, you know, it's hard to ever come back from something that creates a disability in you, in you physically. But yeah. the reality too, is that most people aren't made whole in these cases. Most people walk away very unsatisfied because they are limited to the insurance that's available. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, we're talking a lot about the the car accident type of thing, but you, that's not all you do. I mean, workman's comp is another big part of what you do as well. Um, give us a maybe just a little rundown of really what that means for people that aren't quite sure. Um, and just uh, tell us a little bit about kind of how you operate in that field. Sure. So workers' compensation is a set of laws in the state of Illinois that covers every worker in the state of Illinois. And what that means is if you're injured at work, it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be anybody's fault. It just has to arise out of your work. So if you're, you know, working, just as an example, uh, we have a case right now where a factory worker um, ended up getting his arm caught in a, a giant machine and, and had a real bad injury because of it. And it, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't the company's fault. Nobody was negligent, but it happened at work while he was doing his job. And and that's what the law covers. It covers you for injuries caused at work while you're doing your job. And, and just to take a step back, you know, oftentimes I hear from potential clients that, well, I don't want to cause waves. I don't want to cause a problem with right. my employer. The reality is Illinois was one of the first states to to pass workers' compensation laws back in the early 1900s to protect workers. And the trade off, the, the workers and the uh, and industry made a trade. The worker said, we won't, we'll give up our right to sue you for, for negligence. We'll give up our right to get damages when the accident was caused by your, by the employer's fault, by a faulty machine 
by faulty maintenance, things like that. Mm. In exchange, you have to cover us, even if it's not, even if the even if it's an accident that's not anybody's fault. Oh wow! And so it's it's a trade off. And at the end of the day, anyone who's injured at work in Illinois falls under these protections. And so these protections provide uh, three different buckets of benefits. So the first is that your employer is obligated to pay your medical bills that are related to the accident. And that includes hospitals, physical therapy, rehabilitation, training for a new job. If you can't go back to that same job, things like that. Mm -hmm. Your employer is also required to pay you what's called temporary total disability, meaning that as long as your doctor says you're unable to work, your employer has to pay you as if you're working. Wow. And that it's basically meant to, to protect people from going bankrupt because of an injury like this. And then finally, the third bucket, and this is usually the first two buckets are covered by the employer before I get involved. But the third bucket is the permanent disability caused by the injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just using using an NFL player as an example. A linebacker on the Bears tears an ACL, even if if that's surgically repaired, that leg is never the same as an ACL that wasn't repaired, that wasn't torn in the first place. Right. And so that maybe that's a, a, a tenth of a second off your 40 yard dash time, or maybe that just affects in a, a tiny way your ability to explode or tackle or take on blocks or whatever it is. Right. But that's a permanent disability caused by the injury and you're entitled to recover for that. And so for like a factory worker, you know, who, who breaks a leg at work, you know, that leg, you know, may, may lead to arthritis, may lead to the need for future medical care. And so we're able to recover benefits for that permanent disability. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I want to talk about the, um, you know, the professional athlete part, but I, I you know, in a minute. But um, now I just have a question. So say, for instance, somebody does get an injury of some sort that isn't severe at the moment. But like you say, somebody develops arthritis or something that uh, makes them incapacitated or where they can't continue working. Now, what happens in that case where it isn't uh, clearly apparent at the moment, uh, but it develops into something that makes you unable to work? Is there something there or do you have to, you know, make your claim right in the beginning? It depends. Uh, You have three years from the date of the injury to file a claim. So. You certainly have time to let the, that medical treatment develop and to see what it is. And that's what we oftentimes advise clients who call us immediately after an accident is, you know, let's see what, what happens here. Let's see what the doctor says. Let's see if it ends up being surgical. Hmm. To your point, I mean, if, if you don't know within, you know, a short period of time whether or not this has caused you an injury, it's probably not a very significant injury. Okay. I mean, the, the folks that we represent have broken bones. Uh, torn tendons, torn ligaments, surgical procedures. You know, these are all things that become apparent pretty early on through MRIs and other objective diagnostic testing. Um, but there are situations where things are, are, are slower to develop. You know, back injuries, for instance, um, are, you know, a disc herniation is sometimes very slow to develop. Um, and, and, and the treatment for that is, is very conservative at the start by most doctors. And so it takes some time to, re- to recognize exactly what you're dealing with. Um, but usually within that three year window, if, if, you know, the problem hasn't developed by then, then it's probably not going to develop, or at least it's not going to develop in a way that we can relate back to that injury. Now, what if somebody, uh, for instance, doesn't work at the place anymore and it develops, uh, you know, a year after, but they're still in that three year period. Are they still able to file a claim, um, after leaving? 
employment? You're, yeah, you absolutely are able to file a claim after leaving employment as long wow. as the injury arose out of the employment. And what you'll need is Proof. essentially your doctor is going to have to, to, to connect the employment to the current state. And so that's what we do is we the medical records and the testimony of your treating doctor is going to be what determines whether you're successful or not. Yeah. So it's not as simple as, you know, I hurt my knee. I hurt it at work. Go get me money. Um, you know, <laughs> right. and that's maybe how a lot of people look at it. Yeah. The reality is that we, we spend a lot more time working with your doctors and going through your medical records than we do anything else in preparing these cases, because it's the medical records that support whether or not there's a claim there. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there is that misconception like, oh, well, you know, my, my back, oh, my back's killing me. You know, I got to claim, you know, I'm going to call them up. Uh, but it, it, yeah, it, it could cost you a lot of money up front by having to go to the doctor to even diagnose it. Right. So it's it, generally those uh, settlements are to cover and make you whole. It's not to make you rich. Right. I mean, um, that's what the laws exactly. are for. And nobody's getting rich on workers' compensation either. They're, the, the laws in Illinois, um, there are caps on the damages. There's caps on, on, on essentially how much somebody can recover. Yeah. In my experience, the more severe the injury, the less likely it is that any monetary value that you can receive is going to really make you whole. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Definitely. And, um, so, you know, to, to tie it back to the professional athlete, because this is, you know, kind of what a lot of people are interested in with, uh, you know, I mean, that's an interesting story. I mean, people don't think, okay, well, you know, if Tom Brady tears his ACL, you know, that he, you know, needs a settlement, right? So people don't think because, oh, well, these people are multimillionaires. They don't need the money. People always tie it to money. But absolutely. The other thing that the you reality, you know, yeah. oh, go ahead. Sorry. The other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on is, you know, well, think about the, uh, the minor league athlete or, you know, somebody that, you know, makes 40 grand a year or something uh, that, that really needs that money, you know, that's ruined. Maybe their career would have gone somewhere and now it can't. So, you know, absolutely. What do you, what are your thoughts? Well, on here's that? a great example of that. I would say every single year, uh, the Chicago bears will have an undrafted rookie free agent that will tear an ACL in training camp and, and his career will be ended. Yeah. And in train, you know, these, these guys, sure. They sign these big contracts, but you know, they're not paid the contract until the actual NFL season starts. And so the guy who comes on board as an undrafted rookie free agent, or even third, fourth round pick who tears an ACL and then that never plays again. That guy was making maybe $200 a week on an, on a stipend, uh, you know, just a living expense stipend during training camp. Right. And that's all that guy is known is playing football. And he was hired to play football, got hurt because he was doing what he was hired to do and now can no longer do that job. And so there is an obligation, I think, uh, for any employer to, to pay for those kind of damages. I mean, this is entertainment. You, the, the football industry is an entertainment industry at base yeah. and you know, they, and, and, and it's part of the game that you're going to get hurt, but it's also, you know, there, there are rules in place to protect people. Yeah. And, and these guys, it's your point also, you know, a minor league baseball player, there, there's, there's, there are a dozen or so minor league teams in, in Illinois, minor league baseball players are making $1,100 a month, you know, yeah. players on the Chicago fire, the Chicago sky, they're, most of them are making under $100,000 a year. Players on the Chicago Wolves or the uh, Quad City Mallards or the uh, Rockford Ice Hogs are not making millions of dollars. Um, these are folks who are making you know regular wages, and the injuries that they sustain are lifelong injuries. You know, 
these guys are, if you ever see a professional, a retired professional athlete walking around, I don't think you're seeing them running in a marathon. You're seeing them hobbling and limping because that's what this, that's what their employment does to them. Yeah. You know, it, it creates these lifelong injuries and, and the notion that, that there's some line in the sand you can draw that because a guy made a million dollars last year, nobody who makes any money should get anything is I think just arbitrary. Yeah. It's funny. You brought up the wolves. I actually had the VP of operations uh, for the Chicago wolves on the show um, to talk about kind of, you know, the, the organization and um, player development. You know I mean? It's, it's a, a stepping stone for a lot of these athletes. They come out, you know, it's a, it's a job that they take on so they can get exposure and then they move into, you know, uh, other leagues. And, um, you know, like you say, they're not making millions of dollars. They're usually young guys that, you know, they're bringing in from, uh, you know, different places. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's heartbreaking. And she was saying the same thing. You know, people get hurt and it's like their family. And, you know, that's an example of a good organization that, um, you know, takes care of people uh, for the most part, I figure. But um have you encountered those minor league teams that almost that exploit players or, you know, is, have there been any horror stories without going into the details, but how does, how do you navigate that? Cause you deal with these people, you hear the real stories when people are being hurt. What, what can you say on that? You know, I don't think that there's any horror stories per se. Um, you know, in my experience, kind of the lower you get down into the professional ranks in terms of the minor leagues, the, the less sophisticated maybe some of those folks are in terms of, uh, of, you know, understanding how the laws operate. And so it, sometimes it's a little harder. Sometimes you have to educate a little more on, um, you know, what the obligations are. Um, you know, just using the Wolves even as an example, uh, the Wolves were a, an affiliate of a, the, the Vegas Knights right. uh, for the last few years. And the Vegas Knights decided they, they didn't want to be a part of it anymore because they didn't want to have to bother with workers' compensation. Hmm. You know, they they weren't used to that system and and they didn't feel like it was something that they should have to pay for. So they said, forget it, we're, we're out. Wow. Um, the reality is these are, are million dollar companies, billion dollar companies. And it's, it's really part of the bottom line is you have to pay to keep your workers safe. Yeah, yeah. It's a cost of business, right? I mean, I mean the, the corollary to that would be you know, you, you don't see United Airlines cutting uh, safety measures because, um, you, you know, on their planes, they, they spend the money that's necessary to do the right thing for their customers and for their employees. Yeah. Well, it's the e equal. And so, you, and so rarely, just to kind of answer your question, rarely do I see uh, bad actors in it. Uh, more often it's, you know, there, there's more often a, a, a healthy debate about the merits of a claim or the, the impact of a claim and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the term really is what equal application of the under the law, you know, or something, you know, what I mean, it's like everybody, yeah. whether you're whether you're yeah. a billionaire, you know, or you're making, you know, uh, uh, you know, 50 bucks or something. If you're actually employed, um, then it's the same thing it goes, you know, all the way across. And I, I think people don't realize that. But especially for sports, though, people always think of you know, the top of the top, you know, in the NFL or the MLB. Um, but, but, even, but even if you're talking about those guys at the top, you know, those guys who are making millions of dollars when they have serious injuries. Yeah. I mean, think about that. They go from making, you know, $5 million a year to being unemployable. Yeah. Right. You know, the guy who was making $5 million and gets hurt. He's no longer able to do that. Not only is he no longer able to do that job, but then what job is he going to be able to do? 
Yeah. You know, these guys know nothing other than, than their sports for the most part. Um, and that's why, you know, you see in the data, um, you know, the, 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 the bad results of players after retirement, um, you see a lot of guys going bankrupt, a lot of guys making bad financial business decisions because, because they, they, they've been trained to be this one thing. And, it, and you also and brought now it they up, can't do that anymore. You, you brought it up before. Everybody thinks that they're invincible until it happens in the, in the snap of a finger. And so, you know, yeah. I would imagine these people that are have multi-million dollar contracts, they're spending, you know, they're they're thinking the money's gonna come because they got what three more years on their contract, they know what they're gonna make, and then it's oh, it's can't do it anymore. So that's that definitely makes a lot of sense. And um you represent those guys. Uh somebody has to do that. So what is a what does a day look like? If you're dealing with one of these high profile athletes, I know you said, you know, you worked with uh, people on the Bears and, you know, all the different uh, teams around Chicago. But how does that how does that operate? Do you deal with a staff? Do you deal with them in, in uh, you know, is there a, a team of lawyers or is it you're one on one with the actual athlete? How does that uh, relationship work on your end? So it, it's it, it works. Um, you know, it's more or less one on one with that athlete. Um, or that athlete and is a, his or her agent is, is generally who I work with or his or her, uh, you know, significant other, mm-hmm. um, that that's generally who I work with, but I make it a point to, um, you know, to not be, to not have any middlemen involved. Um, you know, sometimes you get a call from a, a, a high profile person who, who wants it all done through their agent or, or, or whatever their business manager. Yeah. That's not how I operate. I operate in a face-to-face kind of way. I need to make eye contact with my clients um, and talk to them. And, and for the most part, honestly, the, the professional athletes that I've represented have been the easiest clients I've ever had to deal with. I mean, they're, you know, I think that athletes get maybe a bad rap um, that they're, you know, some kind of prima donnas. My experience has been the exact opposite. They are to almost to a man. They, they've been polite, respectful, appreciative, and, and they've been really easy to work with. They, they follow, you know, they they follow my, my lead, my instructions. And, and rarely is there any problems to be honest with you. Yeah. And now you're in a, you're in a, uh, I mean, that's really interesting. Um, you're in a kind of a strange, a small handful of people that do what you do in this town, I would imagine. Right. How many other people out there are doing what you're doing at the level that you're doing it with athletes? I mean, it can't be many. There nobody. There's nobody else who's doing it at the level that I'm doing it in, in in the state of Illinois. Well, that's a pretty big claim. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, if you're, <laughs> so I mean, if people get hurt. I mean, there's we have a lot of teams. We have a lot of athletes in, in a lot of different leagues. So yeah, um, that's a that's a that's a big deal. Now you and I know you know. I told you before when we do these shows, an hour is the snap of a finger as well. We basically are coming up to an hour, but I wanted to close out and, you know, uh, um, you know, kind of talk a little bit uh, about, a, you know, some of the other things. Uh, tell me about your business. So tell me about your actual firm. How many people do you have with you? When did you start it exactly? Um, and, you know, I guess uh, how to get a hold of you. Plug yourself. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we, we, we have uh, four attorneys in our firm. Uh, which is, you know, a decent size for a personal injury firm. We've got a handful of paralegals and support staff as well. We have offices in downtown Chicago across from uh, the the courthouse, across from the Daily Center. And, um, you know, like I said, I I make it a point we like to meet clients face-to-face, whether it's in our office or 
you know, I, I travel all around Lake County, Cook County, the Collar counties. Um, we represent folks all over the state of Illinois, and I'm happy to come meet you where you're at. I'm happy to come, you know, I, I consider it a privilege to be invited into folks' living rooms to talk to them, to talk to their families and explain how this stuff all works. Um, you know, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, what a personal injury lawyer does isn't rocket science, but I think the way you treat people and, and the, the level that you put, you know, the amount of energy you put into your clients is, is what separates the good lawyers from, from, you know, the rest of the pack. And I like to think that, that we do that better than most. Um, you know, we, we treat our clients with respect. We, we really care about our clients and, and I think our results show that, um, if you're ever injured in, in an accident, uh, whether it's on the road, uh, walking down the sidewalk or at work, uh, call us. We're happy to talk to you free of charge. Um, you don't pay us anything out of your pocket. We only get paid if we get you paid. Um, and that's really how it is. And so if you have any questions, um, our, our website is gordonlawchicago.com. Um, you can reach me at 312-332-5200. We get back to folks very quickly and, you know, we're happy to have a conversation with you. Definitely. And to, now to bring it full circle all the way back to the beginning, we talked about this when we had that uh, phone call in the beginning. Um, for the people out there, if you happen to be in the grocery store and you slip on a banana peel, what should you do to make sure that you're protected? Well, so the, the, the slipping on the banana peel, as, as silly as it sounds, that happens. And whether it's a banana peel or, or, or I say, you know, you know, people slip on the most in a grocery store is grapes. Ooh, people yeah. slip on slip and fall on grapes all the time. Hmm. And what's important when, when you slip and fall on anything, whether it's at a grocery store or when we just had a foot of snow, you slip and fall on a parking lot or on a sidewalk. You got to know what you fell on, what caused you to fall. You know, look around, take pictures. The, the the single thing that you can do to help yourself in those situations is to take a picture of where you fell, because at the end of the day, a year from the time you fell, you're going to have to explain what did you fall on and how do you know that you fell on it? And you need to know, you need to know what you, you know, it was a banana peel because you saw it, you smelled it, you felt it, you know, whatever it is, you held it in your hand. You need to know that it was a grape because, you know, you looked at the bottom of your shoe and there was a grape there. OK. And, and if you have pictures of it that, you know, pictures go a long way, especially when they're, you know, contemporary. when you take it at the same time, uh, th that's how you prove your case. Yeah. When you come to me two years later saying I slipped on something, I don't know what it is. It's very difficult to recreate that situation. Yeah. And, you and so the thing that I would tell anybody who's, you know, who's in an accident is your memory is the absolute best it's ever going to be at that exact moment. Mm -hmm. And so. Write down what happened. Write down how you felt, what you noticed about yourself. Write down what caused you to fall, where you were going, what shoes you were wearing, um, things like that. Because you, you, it's just my experience is that people just can't remember those kind of details the more time that passes. Yeah. You're never going to remember it as well as you, you are that in that moment. And the other thing that you, you, you brought up, uh, you can't trust if there's video cameras that you're going to get that footage. It might mysteriously disappear by then, you know, so if you, if you know, you... between between just human error and the reality that those those videos are overwritten so quickly, 
I mean, it, I think rarely is it, uh, it, it is my experience that they're erased on purpose, you know, like the Nixon tapes or something. But <laughs> the reality is, is those videos are tough to come by and who knows what quality they are, who knows what they actually saw. Um, you know, videos are amazing when they work, yeah. but oftentimes they don't. Yeah. And it's not uh, the defendant's case to, or, uh, uh, you know, place to, to prove your case. Right. So. Well, uh, no, not only that, I think that's a really good point. The burden of proof is on the person who's injured, the person who's bringing the claim, the person who's filed the lawsuit. The defendant doesn't have to prove that they didn't cause the problem. Hmm. The plaintiff, my client, has to prove that they did. Yeah. And and that can be a very difficult burden sometimes. And, and the more attention to the detail that you bring to your lawyer, whether it's me or anybody else, the better chance you're going to be successful at the end of the day in your case. Well, that's some uh, some wise words from somebody that definitely knows uh, the law. And, um, you know, Richard, it's a it's a real pleasure to have you on. I, I think we talked about some really interesting things today. Thank you so much for your time. And, um, you know, for anybody like like uh, like you just said, uh, it's uh, uh, GordonLawChicago.com. Uh, you know, give him a call if you have a question, if you need anything, uh, you know, he's there to help. And, um, you know, thanks again. Have a good Thanks one. for having me, Steve. I really appreciate it. Yep. All right, everybody. That's another one in the books. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll put the link below and um, have a good one. 